Welcome to Ruling Sports, a podcast giving you a playbook for life. I'm your host, Alicia Jessup. Join me as I interview athletes, leaders, and innovators to uncover their game plans for success and give you insights to rule your life. Let the play clock begin. Have you ever had a big vision or goal for your life that somebody cast doubt on? What if that person who cast the doubt was someone you looked up to as a leader? Think a boss, a coach, or family member. Would you listen to them and give up on your dream? Or would you keep fighting for it by moving forward? Today's guest is someone who has faced that critical choice. Prince Daniels Jr. is a former NFL running back turned high-performance mentor and author who lives by the mantra, nothing is impossible unless you truly believe it is. He's actually lived out this mantra because as a college football walk-on at Georgia Tech, a coach poured massive doubt onto his dream of playing not only college football, but in the NFL. In this episode, Prince tells us how he reacted in that moment and why instead of running from his dream, he fiercely ran toward making it a reality. Drafted in the fourth round of the NFL draft by the Baltimore Ravens, Prince explains how he went from a walk-on college football player to a starter in the league. He gives college athletes three tips for how to be successful and explains why academics must remain a priority even if you plan on making it to the NFL. We talk about the biggest difference between the NFL and college football and the mental strategy he adopted that allowed him to succeed in the league. Like many athletes, Prince faced a significant loss of his identity following his unexpected retirement from football. He tells us about the darkness he experienced in this moment and the crisis that followed. As a warning to listeners, in this episode, we discuss suicide and suicidal thoughts. Luckily, Prince was able to survive that difficult time. And a reason why is because he turned to something that he utilized as an NFL player, which his teammates actually teased him for, meditation. As an NFL player, Prince actually spent time at a monastery, learning how to meditate and get in touch with his true self. He tells us how a return to the monastery following his retirement and leaning into meditation and mindfulness saved him after football. This episode is filled with so many great gems and important insights. Prince's wisdom and genuineness shine through. It is a great conversation for anyone who has ever struggled with identity or figuring out what is next in their life. In particular, it's a must listen for football athletes as much of what Prince discusses is relatable. So now, join me in welcoming Prince Daniels Jr. to the Ruling Sports Podcast. Prince, welcome to the Ruling Sports Podcast. I'm so excited to talk about your incredible journey through sport and beyond. Thank you. Thank you, Alicia. How are you doing? I'm great. This is going to be a fun conversation. What goal, quote, or mindset has guided your life? The goal is to impact the world in the best way possible. Learning as much information as I can, gathering as much knowledge as possible, and uh, departing my wisdom and making sure that I impact the world with my actions. So when it comes to a quote, um, it's the Henry Ford quote, whether you think you can, whether you think you can't, you're right. I understand that having a positive mindset and being very optimistic becomes a part of your reality if you continue to look for that. And it works in the same way as if being pessimistic or negative, you're going to see that manifest in your reality. So it's about your growth mindset, about what do you want to see? What do you visualize yourself seeing? And if you keep the right mindset, it's going to help you grow in terms of your mindset and help you flourish in life. And so those are the things that actually allow for me to push myself and evolve into the individual that I am today. 
I love that. And as we're going to see unfold in this conversation, you're living that purpose through what you're doing today. And you're also flowing into that quote as well. Let's start with your early days, though. Where did you grow up and what were you into? I grew up in Houston, Texas. Well, actually, we moved a lot. So I lived in Mississippi at the the beginning of my life. I spent a lot of my years growing up in Houston, Texas. I stayed with my mother during my formative years all the way until my teen years. And my parents had separated when I was around two years old. So I went to go and live with my father at the age of 13. And that was a whirlwind because my father's from a different country. He's from Ghana, Africa, and he had this different mindset, this this mindset, uh, not exactly what I was familiar with when it comes to, should I say, Blacks and Africans-Americans in, in, in America. It was a different mindset. He thought different, and he instilled that thought process in me. So it did not allow for me to think like everyone, like my peers, but think outside the box. And that allowed for me to be able to be comfortable in my own skin and be be proud of who I am. You know, and the things that my dad instilled in me was education, education first, education first. I don't care about anything else except education. So, you know, I, I had to turn education into a game, into a competition and enjoy it, right? It became something that was, that, that that was something that I was proud of to actually say that I was I was smart or I was a nerd because mm-hmm. if not then what what else what, you know like what else are you working towards in terms of your mindset that was instilled in me and those were the things that I was into and I was into sports as well because I I love competing and I was very athletic that's awesome so with your father were you still living in Houston Yes, yes. I was I was living in Houston when I went to go and live with my father. Staying with my mother and my, my siblings, we lived on the uh, southeast side of Houston, and my father stayed on the southwest side of Houston. And so uh, it was it was a small trip. It was about a forty five minute trip from one side to to the other. And I never forget the day when my father came to pick me up, and he took me home. And in the car, we had a moment. And it was silent. Well, actually, he was listen- listening to NPR. I'm just like, what is this? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so he turned the music down and he said, you will eat, you will sleep, you will do your homework, and you will do it again. <laughs> and I just started crying. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? Like, what's going on? And he was basically letting me know that no sports, you know, it's just homework, eat, sleep, work that's it and go back to sleep and so for me that was a shocker because at my mother's house I was able to do anything and I was a young man growing up with my siblings and so as I grew older you know I started to get into the the things that you do when you're a teenager and you're influenced by your older your older family members it was perfect for me to go and live with my father at that time because I needed to see a man to become one and Mm -hmm. That's exactly what my father really instilled to me was how to become a man. It seemed like he also instilled a lot of discipline. Yeah, my father, he was very, very disciplined. And he instilled that discipline in me from every Saturday morning to making sure that I cut the grass and clean the house. And if the house is not clean, then he would go and check the area. If it's dirt in, in one area that I did not clean, he would actually run his finger over the dirt and wipe it on my clothes after I've already showered. I'm fresh. I'm feeling good about myself. And he would put a mark on my clothes. And I'm like, Dad, why would you do that? This is brand new. Now I have to change. And he said, I don't care. I need you to clean this house. If I say to clean something, clean it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it really made me understand making sure that you do things right the first time. Mm-hmm. There's a saying. Do it wrong, do it long, do it right, do it light. Hmm. So that discipline, it carries over and it allowed for me to really anchor myself. And I I think we're going to see more of those lessons emerge through this conversation, but I, I love you calling that out. 
do it right the first time. That That's something my dad listens to my podcast every week and I know what he's doing right now. He's sitting there being like, yeah, Alicia, listen to Prince's dad and listen to me. What would happen if you just did things right the first time? So that's a beautiful lesson. What's your father's name? His name is Prince as well. Prince Ahaji Daniels Sr. Okay, so you move in with your father when you're 13. You're listening to NPR. Not a lot of 13-year-olds are doing that. He is instilling order and processes into your life. Sure. How did you come to get involved with football? Um, so I was already involved in football when I was living with my mother. And I was with my cousins, and we would be outside on the concrete playing football. When I transitioned to go and live with my father, that was the one thing that I wanted to do. That was my one request. And I only had one request, he told me. <laughs> <laughs> I told him that I wanted to play sports. I just wanted to play football because I was really good at it. And um, I fell in love with football when I was young from watching Barry Sanders and Walter Payton. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be running back, a, a running back. And I knew that I could. I knew that I was stronger than the other kids. And whenever I would compete with them, there were certain things that I could do that they could not do. So, so my dad allowed for me to participate in football. He granted me that one request, but he told me on, under one condition, you cannot have a great Lord than a B. If you're open to talking about what did your father do for a living? He actually immigrated from Ghana, Africa, and he started his own business, a recycling company uh, in America and uh, thriving for you know two decades. And he would take me to his business and he would make me work at the business. And I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I did. But it, it again, taught me self-discipline. And he taught me about entrepreneurship. He set me down at the table. He showed me how to pay bills. He showed me what to do, you know, how you pay your bills, make sure that you're on time. He taught me the principles of life and how not, not just to survive, but to also thrive. So do you think his dream for you would have been that you become an entrepreneur? What, what do you think he was hoping 13-year-old Prince would become? Just a successful individual. My dad was extremely a loving individual, but in his own way, it was tough love. And what he wanted was uh, to, to, to just make sure that uh, I, the world never breaks me and that he would love to break me before the world can break me. So that way the world can never break me. Mm. But every time you know, he would show up to a football game or he would show up to my academic uh, award ceremony, uh, he was always proud of me. He told me that, you know? So I don't think he was looking for anything in return because what he told me was that I don't owe him anything. Mm. He, he said, you didn't need my permission to come into this world. I, I made you. So I don't want anything from you. The only thing that I want from you is to be successful you know, in your own way. It was my dad was more more so like a, a like an architect and an engineer. You know, he wanted to build the ship, but allow it to sail. He did a really good job. That's amazing. What what an incredible man. So Listen, he, he's helping you. I, I like the idea of an architect. He's helping you build this life. He's instilling in you the importance of school. And you end up going to one of the top academic institutions in this nation, Georgia Tech, yeah. where you played football. Before we get into this, I'm wondering, did you know Demarius Thomas or were you finished before he came in? No, I knew, I knew Bebe. That's, that's what we called him, Bebe. Uh, yeah, I knew Demarius Thomas. Yeah, just really good friends. Every time I see him, just a, a loving individual, right? And, and it was shocking with what happened to him. You know, rest in peace, his soul. Um, um, but it was, it was very shocking because to see someone that young and to pass uh, with Ideally, you think that they are very healthy. Uh, uh, it, it, it really it, it really stops your heart and it makes you think, makes you think about life and what we're doing in this life to make sure that you know, we can extend this life and enjoy every single moment of it. Um, so yes, I did know Bebe and uh, Demarius Thomas 
And yeah, it was sad to see um, his passing. Yeah, he he's one of the best men that I've ever met in my career. And to wow. your point, um, when people pass from this world that young, who are that good, yeah. you have to stop in your tracks and you, you just have to realize every moment matters. Every interaction you have with someone matters because you don't know if it's the last on this side of heaven or earth, whatever you believe in. But that's that's cool. I, I, I love that guy. So I was wondering if you knew him. You, you played college football at Georgia Tech. You studied management and you minored in chemistry. All right. How, how did you do this? How did you compete? We'll talk about your college football accolades. There's a lot. Yeah. But how did you balance competing at a high level with rigorous academics? Going into Georgia Tech, I pride myself on making good grades, being very smart, being a nerd, and also uh, being good in, in, in athletics. There are three things that you need to be a successful uh, um, student athlete, academics, athletics, and a social life. Social life came to me naturally. I was the life of the party. I, I would go into a party and just light up the whole room because I knew how to dance. And I had this this infectious smile that warmed warm people's heart and it would win people over. You would never really see me. I was in, in the library studying and, and or on the football field uh, getting extra reps in. And so whenever I would come around, it was like a moment of like, there he is. You know, there's PJ Daniels. There's Prince. Uh, I, I made sure that um, I kept my priorities in order and that that comes from discipline and just stay focused on academics because i knew that if i would come home with a bad grade my dad still while i'm in college i'm a young young man if i come home with a bad grade my dad would be pissed off at me so i made sure that that was the focus and i i, I kept that at the forefront of my mind these aren't easy classes that you're taking either. Uh, I went to engineering school as well. So I, I understand the rigor of a chemistry minor. So right. kudos to you. One question I have to that level is, I, I don't want to blow the secret, but Prince ends up making it to the NFL. Everyone, in case you didn't know, we're talking to an NFL player. A lot of the athletes I know and work with, especially at the intercollegiate level, they say, they have to keep a laser focus on that professional or Olympic athletic goal. Yeah. And they can't even begin to visualize themselves as someone who is utilizing this education from a career purpose. And so they kind of use that as an excuse for why their grades aren't what they could be. How, how did you navigate that? How did you navigate? Okay. I'm a great student in these very hard academic programs yeah. with, oh, and I'm also going to the league. Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, I knew that everything worked together. And if you could be smart in the classroom or you can apply yourself, you can apply that same education on the field. It transitions. And I knew that if I work my mind, once I get on the football field, I'll be able to do this and do this and do the impossible. And so that is what allowed for me to really take pride in, in my education. I, I, I understood the balance between um, hard work and fun. And knowing that I was gonna go to the NFL, it just allowed for me to really push myself and create a platform for me to help me catapult to the next level so I can understand what 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 football is going to be about because I didn't know anything about the NFL. I didn't have any successors you know before me saying, hey, this is this is what the NFL is like. You know, once you transition to it, this is what you need to do. So I had to figure out everything on my own. And through my experiences at a as a as a student, things start to make sense to me once I transition into the NFL on how, you know, there's a correlation between school and the NFL and hey this is that and that is this and so that's what drove me to really enjoy the process of educating myself i think that's so great and i hope that the current college athletes listening to this rewind and go back to that part of the conversation we're living in such an exciting time for athletes with the athlete and movement that i arguably think was started by lebron james so showing that you don't just have to be great at one thing. And especially when it comes to education, 
Education is something that you're going to utilize everywhere, always, forever, as we'll learn shortly. Athletic careers sometimes are short-lived and it's nice to have that knowledge and that gift to return back to you. So I think that's such a great lesson. So you started at Georgia Tech as a walk-on, yeah. You ultimately became a starter. Talk right. to us about this journey. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, I came to Georgia Tech as a walk-on. It wasn't by choice. When I was in high school, um, <laughs> I didn't do do so well on the standardized tests. Uh, I didn't pass it on on the signing day. So since I didn't pass the standardized test on the signing day, I didn't get a scholarship. All the scholarships that were offered to me. They were taken away. And so it's kind of out alone and surviving. And one day the coach at Georgia Tech came to recruit at our school for another player. And my head coach told him about me. And so one thing led to another, I had a visit and they decided to take me on as a walk-on. But before that, I had to get accepted into school, which was something completely different because Prior to that, I was told that I didn't have to do anything that the student athletes have, I mean, that the, the regular students have to do. Mm-hmm. So I had to write a, an, a, a, an essay or a proposal letter uh, of why I should be accepted into Georgia Tech. Got accepted into Georgia Tech, and now I'm a student at Georgia Tech, and now I was able to become a walk-on. Being number seventh on the depth chart at running back and a small fish in this ocean, <laughs> You know, like I said, I had a lot of pride and a lot of focus and a lot of discipline. So I focused on making sure that my grades were good and that I can improve in, in athletics. And that led me to becoming who, you know, who I am today. Like the starting running back at Georgia Tech, number fifth on the depth chart, NCAA record holder, all ACC academic, all ACC athletic, first team, um, and so forth. Um, up for the Heisman Trophy candidate. And that's pretty awesome. Where did you think you were going to college? I did not know. Well, initially, I thought I was going to go to, to University of Texas. Okay. I stayed in Texas. I lived in Texas, but there was another running back at the time named Cedric Benson, and uh, it seemed like he kept putting up big numbers. And I was just like, how is he putting up all these numbers? What is he doing that's different than me? Um, so never got an offer from them. Got offered from a lot of other schools. Then I thought I was going to go to Tulane or Purdue uh, or, or Michigan or Michigan State. But uh, that didn't happen, and like I said, I didn't do well in standardized tests. And but I had like amazing grades, mm-hmm. and so I ended up um, being a walk-on. Got to Georgia Tech, and I I planned out. I, I had a plan in my mind that I was going to be starting running back at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. I was going to be all academic, and I I held on to that vision, and I made sure that it manifested. Okay, so if you're not familiar with Georgia Tech or its location, it's located basically a freeway away from this place called The Varsity, which (laughs) is a restaurant in Atlanta. How often did you go to The Varsity? I would tell you not one time. Oh! (laughs) Okay, why? Are you like a health nut or something? I am, I am. I'm a health nut, you know. So I think I've been to The Varsity one time. I think they took me to The Varsity for my my college visit and I was like, okay, cool. All right. Yeah. Not going to go here anymore. You know, <laughs> yeah, like the varsity is where you go to get fries drenched in artificial cheese and a burger and a milkshake. I was and kind of dog. getting and a hot dog. I was kind of getting the vibe that you're not a varsity guy. Now we know that that's correct. Alrighty. I read that a coach said you would never play college football or make it to the NFL. Who said that to you? Uh, Coach Bill O'Brien, uh, who is actually, I think he's still coaching right now in the NFL. Um, but I remember he told me that when he was the offensive coordinator at Georgia Tech, and he said that I was too mechanical and that I wouldn't make it at Georgia Tech. And my chances of playing at Georgia Tech are one in a million, and my chances of playing in the NFL are one in a billion. And this is when I was a walk-on and number seven at the depth chart. And yeah, he told me that when we were in his office after our spring game exit meeting. It, it wasn't to to empower me or to you know ignite me to to do something incredible. Like it, it was definitely a, a 
berating uh, meeting. <laughs> I was 19 at the time. But again, like I said, I had a lot of family support and I love myself. My dad was the one that broke me before anyone else could get to it. And so though the words that he said to me, uh, it fueled me to uh, accomplish uh, that vision and see it through. So you're, you're a 19 year old. Is it just you and he in the office? Just he, me and him in the office and he left his door wide open. Usually the coaches close the door. So no one hears a conversation, but he left his door wide open. So everyone could hear because players were coming in and out because we had meetings with the coaches, but everybody could hear that was in that building at the time, the secretary, uh, every all the other coaches on the other floor. And I just remember walking out of that room, not looking for any pity and just saying to myself, please, nobody don't touch me. I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone was apologizing to me. And I just remember saying to myself, like, what did I do wrong? Like. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was young. I was naive. I was I was a sheltered kid. So it's just I was very kind too. Just like, what did I do wrong for somebody to treat me like this? Mm-hmm. And I remember going to the bus stop, and I sat there, and it was spring break. So the buses were instead of every fifteen minutes, every every thirty minutes. So it just seemed it seemed like I was sitting there for a very long time, and. At that moment in time, I made it up in my mind that I was not going to allow for anyone to take my dream away from me because it's my dream. So mm-hmm. with tears streaming down my face, I stood up and I took off running to the other side of campus and I started working out relentlessly. Mm-hmm. And and that's when the change happened. Like I became so focused, so determined that nothing was going to stop me and my teammates knew it. In the morning time, I would, I would run to workouts. We had 5 a.m. workouts. I would be on campus running while all my teammates would be packed in the car in the vehicle driving to workouts and I'm running and they blow the horn telling me to come. I said, I'll see you at workouts. Let's go. And after workouts, after lifting weights, dead tired, body is shaking and trembling. I'm running again to the other side of campus. Just determined. Did not care if I passed out. I was so determined to prove him wrong but also proved to myself that I was going to be the starting running back at Georgia Tech. Wow. Okay, and I, I love that you paint that picture for us, that you're, you're, you're 19 years old. You're this, like, respectful, you're really a kid at 19. <laughs> and you're sitting in this office with this grown man who has the audacity to leave the door open, and you're like, what is going on? Um, shocked. He even put his hands behind his head and he kicked his feet up and he said, I heard that you're pretty smart. I can call my buddies up from Brown University and see if they can get you in there, but you'll never play a, a down at Georgia Tech. I remember that. It was it was such a pompous attitude and yeah, I was very respectful. Like, what did I do wrong? Like my parents told me to be respectful, but why do I feel like I need to hurt this individual? <laughs> did you say uh, anything back in that moment or did you say, thank you, sir? I, I, the only thing I said back was, well, to myself, I said, don't you shed a tear in front of this man. And then the other thing was, so you don't think I'll play at Georgia Tech and you don't, make, and you don't think that I'll make it to the NFL. He's like, are you kidding me? Get the F out of my office. You <laughs> suck. <laughs> And I just looked at him and I said, okay, I got you. And that was it. That's all that I said to him. I, I believed in myself so much. That was the first time somebody made me think about doubt. Hmm. And before the doubt could take over, the fire just turned on. I was so angry. And I kept that anger for like three months. Every day for three months, it would not distinguish, it would not go away. Hmm. And it was just something inside of me, just get up, let's go, let's go. Somebody told you that you suck, let's go. And it, 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 it echoes so loud hmm. and it was in my heart. And I said, let's go, get up Prince, let's go, get up, get up, get up, let's go, get up. And sure enough, everything just started to slowly turn around and transition hmm. and you know doors start opening you know that helped me later on in life and understanding 
when you are so intentional and sure about what you want to do, the universe opens the door for you and says, go. It's granting you the wish. It's allowing for things to crystallize and manifest so they can become a part of your reality, your reality. That is what I did. You know, I followed my heart. I followed my energy, my inner good, my inner greatness, my I-N-N-E-R capital G. And that is what we all have, we all possess, but we don't know how to tap into it. Hmm. And that's what led me into the later part of my life. And that is what I teach athletes, people with the athletic mindset, high achievers, entrepreneurs, that there is something inside of you. There's a light inside of you, but it's been turned off and you got to learn how to turn it on. And mm -hmm. And it doesn't need to be fueled by anger, but anger can help that light ignite, but it can be fueled by the love that you have for yourself. Hmm. That love is insurmountable and abundant. And once you tap into it and you find love within yourself and, and gratitude, which is a key word, not in a graceful way, but in a way that's super powerful, but yet, very peaceful. This allows for me to teach and share with others like how you can tap into your inner chi. Do you want exclusive insights from your favorite athletes, sport industry leaders, and innovators delivered straight to your inbox? Subscribe today to the Ruling Sports Newsletter. The Ruling Sports Newsletter cuts the mystery out of success by bringing you leadership tools, entrepreneurial strategies, business insights, and wellness tips straight from some of the world's most positively impactful people. So go to rulingsports.com today and subscribe for free. So coming into that meeting, but before that meeting with Coach O'Brien, did you have a vision for your life as an NFL player? Well, well yes and no. The, the, the vision for the NFL player was very faint, <laughs> especially at that meeting. <laughs> but it was just get through college first. I needed to take small steps before I could take that big leap. Yeah, but I always had the NFL uh, vision in the back of my mind. It was just, how will I get there? And so um, instead of asking the question, it was about putting in the work. So the Dow, a few minutes ago, you said what he said to you was the first time that like doubt creeped into your head. So many people give in to doubt. Someone tells you you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're not rich enough. And you start taking on what other people say to you as your identity. You right. fought that. You literally ran from that. I, I love just that visual of you at the bus stop sitting there. And I, I honestly think it's a blessing that the bus didn't come because I think it forced you to move into where you were going to head. How do you not give in to doubt? And another way to ask that question is how do you not let the opinions and thoughts of others influence your life? Wow, that's a beautiful question. My answer always comes to love. Like love is so powerful. It's the gift that we are giving from the source. And whether you were nurtured through love growing up or you were first being introduced to love, it has to come from in, inside of you. It has to come from an internal place. Like you were born out of love. And so th that source, that light that I'm talking about is love that's inside of you. And so when it comes to self-doubt, it come, that comes from an external place. That's someone that's creating doubt on your psyche, thinking, telling you what you cannot do, and this is how things are. But that light inside of you wants to shine bright and say, well, I can do this, and I can be this. And it, it's a part of your imagination. It's a part of your image that you're created in. The doubt is not something that you live in. It's the light that lives inside of you that you're already in. So when people start to doubt, it's because they are allowing for the external noise to come into them. When, when, when you can stay in your light, you are meant to do what you are meant to do. So you are enlightenment. Mm -hmm. So stay in your light 
and you'll always be meant to do what you are supposed to do. You stay in your purpose. Did you get a scholarship the second year? So you went from walk on to scholarship athlete within one year? Yeah, one yeah, one year and a half. I, I remember my first year it was just a grind, a pure grind. And then that next year, I was told at the beginning of the season, I was told that I wasn't gonna be on the team. Then I got an opportunity to stay on the team as a walk-on, and my opportunity came and I was prepared. Preparation is the key to success. And I was prepared for that moment. And when that moment came, you know, I became that one in a million that my coach told me that I wouldn't be. Because now I'm, I'm on the field at Georgia Tech because I was a backup. And football, people get hurt. So if you have the, the patience and you can witness and observe uh, your opportunity, take it and never look back. <laughs> and so, I, like I said, I, I was on the field, became that one in a million. And then from there, uh, I got drafted, became that one in a billion. So... You know, I always feel like my odds are really good. Like you mentioned, you became the one in a million athlete who actually played at Georgia Tech, and you became the one in a billion when you were drafted in the fourth round of the 2006 NFL draft by the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. Tell us about this moment. Oh, such a surreal moment, once in a lifetime moment. Just to know that an organization calls you and lets you know that they need your services and that you will be be an asset to their to their program was incredible and now you're a professional athlete right that this rarely happens there are players that do not get drafted and they make a name for themselves but i went from walk on to becoming a starter to becoming drafted you know for me that was like wow i actually made my dream come true because i held on to that vision it was like deja vu because I was able to hold on to the vision long enough to actually see it crystallize. And that's something I've talked to a lot of former and current NFL players about is you have this vision and you have got to stick to that vision to become one of the roughly 1200 people who are playing in the NFL. This is not something you can just wake up one day, like, you know what, I'm going into the league. Like there's a lot of planning, a lot of visualization, a lot of hard work. Right. Then they get there and they're like, oh, this is a pretty significant transition. Can you talk to us about what the biggest or maybe the biggest transitions moving from college football to the NFL were? Yeah, it, it was the speed, the speed of the game. And you have to think about it. When Once you transition into this professional sports world, it's veterans that have been there for a very long time and they have consistently been a part of this speed. And they are familiar they have they have adapted to the speed and you have to find that adaptation to this 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 speed of how everything moves it's a business you have to grow up now uh things are thrown thrown at you so it's a lot of distractions and some are perfect distractions uh but you still have to stay focused on why you are there and what you are looking to accomplish like being able to juggle, like you get all this money thrown at you just about, you know, a couple of months ago, you didn't have that money. And now all of a sudden you have so much money in your bank account. Now you have access to a lot of things that your peers do not have access to. I mean, you feel like you're floating on top of the world and it's, you have to be able to uh, find that centeredness within yourself and come back to uh, your 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 plan, your focus, your goal, and how you're going to accomplish it. I like the word speed. I, I think speed is the right word in this description. How did you do it then? H how did you find that balance and navigate the speed? Listening to what the veterans say, right? If, if they give you some advice, they don't give it to you all the time. And, and then actually putting yourself out there. The one thing about me, I wasn't afraid to make mistakes. I know my teammates were, but I wasn't. I was just ready to just jump in. If I make a mistake and the coaches yell at me, well, oh, it's okay, you know, I'll take it. The coaches loved that. And so when they would yell at me, it took another coach to tell me that, hey, the coaches like you. I was like, why? They keep yelling at me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say that my coach told me, well, they're yelling at you because they see a lot of potential in you. 
And from that moment on, you know, veterans started giving me advice. I, I was a student of the game. I knew how to play football, but once I got to the league, they started teaching me about playing football and the little things and doing one small thing can make a big difference. And once I was able to see that and put things together, then my game started evolving. I, I, when I was a rookie and I was in meetings, my first two years, just in the back, just kind of like sitting back, like, man, when am I gonna get a chance to play? When we were in meetings, I started studying. I would go home and study the playbook, 500 page playbook, and would study formations, I would study the plays, and I started downloading this information and not knowing. So when we would go back into meetings, I would be answering all the questions, blurting out the answer. And I didn't allow others to, uh, to learn at their pace. And I started realizing like, hey, the, the head coach is the, the, the professor and our position coaches are the TAs. So this is how this works. And so we all meet together and we learn these plays and then we apply them on the field, which is our test. And for me, it started to come together like a, a architectural piece or, you know, I started reverse engineering everything that I've been through, through my experiences and how it applies on the field. And then I started to realize like, oh, this game is made of angles and geometry and math and science. And, and so mm. it started to become more of a, of a mental game for me. Mm. And from that point on, that's when my confidence soared through the roof. And I, I hit this level of supreme confidence. And I started to see subtle things. And I started to apply myself to making slight adjustments to elevate my game. And then that's when I started to see myself like really separate myself from the competition. And I started to realize like, wow, if you just do this, if you bring your mind and your whole work together, you, know, you can enter into a space, which I like to call the zone, um, that allows for you to separate yourself from the competition. Well, so much of life is a pattern. And I love how you described transitioning from the college game to your rookie season and then advancing in the league. You've got to spot the pattern. There's things in your life that you've done before yeah. that maybe you're doing this brand new thing. So for instance, I'm learning French right now. I, I've never studied French. I'm gearing up to go do some business in Paris. Okay. <laughs> learning, learning French. We can talk about that on another episode. Um, learning French is like learning Spanish. They're they're two entirely different languages, but there are similarities between the two. Learning Spanish was like learning English. You've got to spot the patterns. Talk to us about what your identity was rooted in in this time of your life. My identity was rooted in the Baltimore Ravens running back Prince Daniels Jr. And you have to listen to what I said. I didn't say my name first. My name came second. So I was rooted in this identity of being a professional athlete. First, when the game was over, a hard fall because I didn't have any control of, of how the game ended. And so I didn't know who I was. I was lost. I had an identity crisis. You can see the cause and the effect because my identity was wrapped into being a professional athlete first before I identified as my name, my government name. When the business side came into place and I was let go, it was a shock. It, it deflated me. It deflated my confidence. It just made me second guess. Like, what, 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 what? Wait a minute. I had a different, I had a different song, you know, and now we're off beat. Like what's going on? Who am I? Where, where, where did this come from? This came out of left field, right? So um, for me, it, it was a, 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 a a shock, my, uh, you know, once I suffered that identity crisis, uh, it put me in a dark place, which down spiraled into a depression and led to many other things as well. And I appreciate you being vulnerable and open and talking about this because so many people, not just athletes, but like so many people who have to root their identity in whatever it is that they're doing. It could be someone in the military. It could be a ballerina. It could be an actor, an astronaut. You have to root your identity in this thing to become it. Right. But the reality is, is that thing isn't going to last forever. Someday it's going to come to an end, even if you're Tom Brady, you know, maybe it's a little bit longer, but it's going to come to an end. And so then the question becomes, what are you left with? You're, you're left there oftentimes alone. 
navigating this new reality and having to architecturally build yourself up from the ground level. So how did you do it? Like, how, how did you come out on the other side? So for me, how did I come out on the other side? Well, you had to push through. <laughs> you had to crawl to get to the other side. Um, there was a lot of dark days, but they always say at the end of the tunnel or at the end of the darkness, there is light. Luckily, as I mentioned before, um, meditation is something that I, that I got involved in when I was in the NFL. I would use meditation to help me separate myself from the competition. I used to watch those Kung Fu movies and you know, I, I was wanting to understand about Chi and being able to move like Wata, like Bruce Lee said, right? And, and, and master this level of discipline. So I decided to go and spend time at a monastery and reach a, a high level of discipline. Even though my dad instilled it in me, this was another level of discipline. And so I would go and spend time at a monastery for about a week or so uh, while I was playing. It helped me develop the mindset of discipline. That helped me whenever I fell into my deep depression. It allowed for me to see things on a, on, on, on a smaller scale and not lose myself because I was given all of this, these glamorous things and I was able to afford these things, but it allowed for me to put things in perspective. So when that rug was snatched from underneath me, I was able, I had a safety net that I can fall upon and I had a, a, a practice that allowed for me to anchor myself and find a direction. It was the, the one thing that allowed for me to look within myself and re-identify myself with whom I am and the being that I am. Where was the monastery? The, the Ozark Mountains in Arkansas. I spent time there really understanding myself. So after my football career was over, I lived at the monastery for three months, trying to figure out life. Everyone was telling me I should go back to school, I should do this, I should do that. And uh, my, my question was, why? <laughs> why? I, I, I'm learning about everything else except myself. And I need to know about me before I go and distract myself from me and learn about business and learn about this and learn about that and learn about how to get a good job. I need to learn about me first because if I don't, I'm going to harm myself. And that is what I turned all my energy into, into becoming a monk, living this monastic life uh, so I could understand life and the principles of life and why we're here. How did you get introduced to the monastery? Um, so I have four uncles in total. Uh, two of those uncles had already been attending the monastery. And when they would come back, they would actually glow. They would, their aura was, was imminent. You could see it like they had like little specks of light coming off of them. And when I would see it, I said, I said out loud, I want that, <laughs> whatever that is, I want that and I want to do it. And so during my football career, um, I told my uncles that I wanted to go to the monastery and so they took me. I used it at the time for my career and, you know, to sharpen my skills and to sharpen my discipline, uh, not knowing that later on in life, that was going to be my, my sanctuary, uh, the place that I, 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 I go to whenever I've lost myself. It afforded me the time and the space um, to become more acquainted with myself, love myself more, uh, become a witness to life and the subtle things in life that we tend to overlook because we're constantly on the go. We're in this rat race and we don't know how to slow down and see the things that matter the most. And the only time that we get to reflect on something whenever it expires. And then we talk about how incredible it was, but we don't focus on when things are alive, telling those things, how much you appreciate it, how much you enjoy it. We do things backwards as opposed to doing things in the now and being grateful and appreciative of the things that really impacted our life. Being at the monastery afforded me those opportunities and this mindset to be able to think beyond 
a certain point to be able to understand that we impact people or not just our words, but with our presence, our actions. And so make sure that they are wholesome, make sure that they are kind and compassionate. There's so much richness in what you said. And I think it all boils down to being present and the way our capitalistic society that we're living in here in America is built, is not really built for us to take these moments of serenity and sanctuary and coming into ourselves. Or for me, like I'm a believer in God coming into understanding what God's purpose and vision for my life is. It's go, go, go one thing to the next until you die. And then when you die, everybody gets to stand around somewhere and say how great you are, but they didn't tell you that while you were living on this planet. Um, During the COVID times, I don't know if we're still in the COVID times, like during the COVID times, one thing I did for myself is I created a silent retreat. And so for about 36 hours, I turned off my phone. I put it on airplane mode. I took all the technology out of where I live and I did not speak to anyone. And it was the best 36 hours of my life. The amount of clarity, the amount of answers, the amount of empowerment that I gained in that period of time. And it was short. And the the beauty of it is I wasn't craving to like hop back on my smartphone. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I need to get on Instagram. I'm like, please let me do this forever. (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine what it feels like over a three month period of time. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying the show. Please don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Ruling Sports on iTunes or your favorite podcast streaming service. It goes a long way to growing the show. Thank you for your support. So this is like 2009 that your NFL career unexpectedly comes to a conclusion because of an injury. Were, Were other guys in the league utilizing meditation like how widespread was this practice then everyone thought i was weird that's how widespread it was everyone thought i was weird i was the the outcast and when, when everything came to a screeching halt it was, it was like well, well what's next you know even though I, I had plans i had a plan but my plan in, included you know playing longer than nfl purchasing this and doing that and that and this and when that didn't happen it created this void inside of me where, you know, I, I had to live with this failure, this this shame, this embarrassment, and not knowing, you know, who I was because it was based upon all the things that I could accumulate and 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 not, you know, what I've accomplished uh, and what I can do from this point on. Was, at that point in time, I became paralyzed and stagnant. And, and my progression moving forward in life. And so uh, uh, it, it took me on a, on a, on a down spiral of, of these, these dark thoughts and suicidal ideation. And it was tough. It was really, really tough. You know, thankfully I'm, I'm, I'm here today to speak about it, but uh, it was a struggle. And another thing is I didn't really take as much action because the, embar- the embarrassment settled in. And once you become embarrassed, you really don't take any more action or take much action because you're paralyzed by the embarrassment. Sounds like you let the doubt seep in, right? So it, it didn't get you that day in coach's office at Georgia Tech, but it, it got you several years later in the NFL. And listen, it, it's coming for all of us. We're all going to face our moment. None of us are immune from it but you have to recognize it. You have to recognize the guest when the guest shows up at the door, the door is your mind and you need to know what you're going to do with the guest. (laughs) And some guests are not welcome guests and you need to send them packing. Have you seen a shift in terms of acceptance for practices like meditation in the league? Yes, most definitely, most definitely. Um, I've seen a lot of people adopt yoga which is which is meditation the the name was changed well the description and the meaning of it was changed later on once it became uh, americanized but yoga means union with the self and you where you're uniting your mind your body and your spirit 
And so a lot, a lot of players are adopting this as well and starting to become aware of that they are more than just an athlete. A lot of players have started adop- adopting it because you have to understand, even in professional sports, you get these athletes that are in this very uh, <clears throat> hostile environment and they have to deal with everyday stressors just like everyone else. And when they transition from their demanding job, which perpetuates violence and, and, and banging and, and, and collision, they expect for the athlete to go home and manage that anger, that, that energy. Mindfulness and meditation has become a tool to help them become more in tune with their emotional intelligence, learn how to regulate their mindset and also their reaction. If you just delay your reaction by one to two seconds, it'll change your action. And as well as in you know, separating yourself from the competition, right? Uh, the more discipline and focus that you have, the more things that you can do and the more that you can produce on the field. And so that's why I wrote a book about it called Mindfulness for the Ultimate Athlete, Mastering the Balance Between Power and Peace because athletes are not one dimensional. They can do a number of things and they are geniuses. And if they really tap into their energy, then they can witness all of the incredible things they can do. There's a quote by Maya Angelou that says every storm runs out of rain. And I'm curious, did your storm like finally run out of rain? Mm, That was beautiful. (laughs) Every storm runs out of rain. (sighs) My storm ran out of rain, but my cycle reproduced the water. You don't die once your storm runs out of rain. You recycle, you reproduce. There's a retake, uh, you know. So there's always another way to, they say, reinvent yourself. But you don't really reinvent yourself. What you're doing is tapping into more of you, more of yourself. You're becoming more familiar with yourself. Once you become more familiar with yourself, then that 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 storm that runs out of rain, right? What happens? It gets recycled into you know condensation <laughs> and it goes into the clouds and then it comes back down again and it, and so forth. And so we have to always remember that there's no end point. There's an infinite journey that we're on. Just just remember that the only thing that stops you is you. Yeah, there, there's always going to be hard times and good times in this life, but you, you've got to know that the hard times are not going to last forever. You'll meet them again somewhere else, like in some other situation, but no hard time is permanent. So if you're listening to this, like, and you're going through a hard time, please get help. Talk to a trained professional. We'll drop some information in the show notes about some great hotlines that are available in our free the, the, the pain's not permanent and meditation is a, is a great tool to navigate depression. So tell us, what are you doing today? Like in, in that regard, how are you helping people through meditation? We live in our, our own funk and we don't feel that everyone is going through what we're going through or they're, you know, and we're the only ones that going, that's going through it and you cannot get any help and if you do get help you're too vulnerable you're too embarrassed and ashamed well guess what you don't have to feel like that the analogy i would use is to to continue to chop the tree even when you don't think it's going to fall so you have to continue to keep asking for help even if you get told no and no and no even though it's very debilitating it's very exhausting but keep asking for help because once you get that yes and that 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 light, oh, it changes your life. Uh, but we're so quick to react to things that uh, we feel that it's the end of everything. And so I just want to remind people like there is always help and there's always somebody going through that same situation that you're going through. So don't think that you're the only one. And please, yes, use those hotlines and also get therapy and counseling, but couple that with mindfulness and meditation. Now, answer your question. What do I do now and how do I help people now? I work with high high performance, high professional athletes and um, high achievers. 
you know, and helping them with their growth mindset, helping them live out their vision, be what they said that they want to be, living to it. I help them do that through this one thing, this tool, mindfulness meditation. If someone wanted to attend one of these cohorts or sessions or work with you, where would they go to look? Um, you can go to gamebeyondthegame.com, which is my website, and you can go and check out um, some of the things that we're doing. And so you can go to my website, you can find all the information, um, find out more about it, but it's called Game Beyond the Game. And I created it after uh, I was in the game because you know, what they say, they say life is a game. And so <laughs> once you exit out of one game, there's still another game left. So this is the game beyond the game. Um, I, I share with people, you know, meditation tips on, on my Instagram page. I'm always pushing meditation. Uh, at my Instagram page is at Prince ADJR. Um, and then I, I'll, right now I'll give a quick nugget. Meditation is, I, I would say, you know, most people tell you, you know, when you meditate, you're supposed to quiet your mind and, 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 and focus on one thing, um, which is all true. But I'll, I'll tell you this, meditation is a time for you to spend with you. People come to me and they say, Prince, I don't have time for meditation. I said, oh. And the first thing I say to them is, first, spell the word meditation. And they begin to spell the word meditation. And they say M-E, and I tell them to stop. And I say, spell it again. And they say M-E, and I tell them to stop. And I say, now, tell me what you said before. And they're like, what? I don't have time for meditation? I was like, yeah. Now say it, but using just the two letters, M-E. I don't have time for me. And at that moment, their brain explodes. And I tell them, if you don't have time for you, how do you have time for other people? You give so much of yourself, but you don't give any of yourself to yourself. And at that moment, you have to start realizing that you just need to spend a little bit more time with me to understand me. If you want to give up someone else money, you have to accumulate money first to be able to give it away so you can still have some left over for you. But if you give away money and you don't have any money left for you, you go insane. And that's the start to our mental problems. We don't create enough time for ourselves. So create time for yourself, create space for yourself, create grace for yourself, love yourself. And when you can do this, then it's easier for you to love someone else. It's easier for you to give time to yourself. And when you sit, you're not sitting to clear your mind. You're sitting to witness the subtle things that happen in life that you don't get a chance to see because you're constantly on the go. And once you finish consistently revisiting a space in your house and in, in wherever you can find a, some type of sanctuary, once you finish visiting that space, you need to do it again and do it again and do it again and it's going to be boring because observing things is boring but it becomes a jovial and joyful experience because once you come out of it you've just learned how to witness things while being bored so once you come out of your meditation now life is very animated is alive and so you're able to witness the animation and it's not so boring and so once you can continue that habit of learning how to witness things and observe things while you're bored you start to learn and witness things when everything is alive and and moving around you and that allows for you to start observing not only yourself but the things outside of you and that is your your entryway into meditation. From that point on, you start to realize that awareness is nothing but light. And the more things that you become aware of, the more light that shined upon it. And now you're, you're not in the darkness anymore. And now you're able to see and you can move with intention. Wow. So awesome. We could go at this for days. This has been such a great conversation. There's one very critical question. Everyone probably wanted me to ask earlier, so I'm going to ask it now. Have you seen Coach O'Brien since you were drafted into the NFL? No, I, I haven't. I haven't. I don't plan on seeing him. Uh, <laughs> and, and if I do see him, I just just say hi, you know, and 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 that's it. 
you know, if you want to move forward in life, you don't hold on to grudges. You don't hold on to animosity because that creates a dis-ease within your body. You let things go. You live a peaceful life. You let things flow. Yeah, he he was a he was a, a, a intricate part of my life, and that's how I see it. I, after that, I don't give it much more energy uh, because he he didn't he wasn't there to help me evolve. He was there to help me devolve. <laughs> and, <laughs> but I I I I use that as fuel to help my rocket ship, you know, um, uh, take off, and mm-hmm. so. Um, he served his purpose and uh, he no longer serves a purpose. So, mm-hmm. you know, like if I ever see him, I just, hey, peace. What's and, up? <laughs> you know, yeah, what's up? That's it. And, you know, but keep it moving. Like, I don't have no time for that. You know, I can. That's good. Now everyone can listen to that part again, too, because a lot of good advice there. Prince, you are so awesome. Thank you so much for the generosity of your time, the great wisdom and knowledge that you imparted on us. And we, we all can't wait to keep following your journey and hopefully get out to this awesome retreat that you're hosting. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much as well. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you gained wisdom that will help you rule your life. Let's stay connected on social media. We're at Ruling Sports on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Sign up for our weekly newsletter at rulingsports.com and email me your thoughts about the show at alicia at rulingsports.com. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate, and review the show and join us next time.